Thank you, David. Well, if you're like me, you, you like first heard that and you thought, that poor fig tree, what did it, what did it do wrong? Um, it would be irreverent to say that Jesus gets hangry sometimes, but that's actually what first, I thought, get that man a Snickers, just help him out. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, <laughs> Jesus never does anything on a whim. There's, there's, actually, there's a very important message he's giving us here, but I actually want to start us off uh, on a different story. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite holiday traditions actually is to uh, preach in January and make you all listen to my holiday travel drama that happened at Christmas. And I hope it's one of your favorite things too. Um, and at this point, it really doesn't matter what you think about it. So uh, on Christmas Day, uh, my family and I, we flew out to California uh, to see my family. And uh, so after church, we, you know, I, I went home and uh, we, uh, it's not really a busy travel day, so we weren't too stressed about it. You know, we ate lunch, we, you know, finished packing and uh, got in the car and put in Kids Now Christmas or whatever was in our car and got to the airport and we were starting to check our bags in and the guy behind the desk at the ticketing counter, he said, you know that your flight leaves in less than 45 minutes. And I said, well, yeah, but it's Kansas City. I'm going to get there in two seconds to my gate. It's not, I'm not worried about it. And he said, that's great, but I can't guarantee that your bags or your car seats are going to make it onto this flight. Did you know that? You got to get there 45 minutes early for your, well, th- those of you who are nodding, thanks for telling me. That's really helpful that <laughs> you knew that. <laughs> so I didn't know that. So, um, you know, we, we kind of went into panic mode, right? Because we got a two-hour drive after we land in Oakland, and I've, we might not have any of our luggage or car seats or anything for our, for our kids. And, and so we kind of went into our, our normal roles. You know, Becca started problem solving, and I just started crying and uh, moaning and... <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I literally, I, I seriously, I was just fretting about it and worrying about it for six solid hours of travel. Because you don't know if it's, until it shows up, right? You have no idea. And then uh, God showed me one more time that he is so good. And that we saw our bags come down that carousel in Oakland. And some, some merciful member of Southwest Airlines made sure our bags got on that plane. And uh, so we actually made our, our kids take a picture by the luggage <laughs> Just so they, <laughs> yeah, so we could prove to them that they were part of a Christmas miracle, uh, and this is it. Our, our bags, our bags made it. <laughs> so part of what was so traumatizing for me uh, in that whole thing, as I kind of thought about it this week and uh, was repenting of mo- most of my attitude of that time, was part of what made it so hard for me was I was just so convinced we were fine. I was just so convinced there was no problem. I was so convinced we were going to get there on time. We wouldn't be too late, no problem at all. And there was like this sucker punch at that ticketing counter. I had no idea until it was too late, right? I thought I would make the deadline right up until I didn't. And it's New Year's time, right? We're two Sundays into New Year's, and uh, many of us are trying new things or things we don't normally like to do or things we think we should be doing more of. And, and sometimes we try to motivate ourselves with this mantra, right? It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late to start over or to do better or to try harder. And, and, if, and actually, if you Google that phrase, you'll find all these motivational posters and stuff. And I just thought I'd show you one because I thought it was funny. It's never too late. <laughs> um, it's a great phrase, right? It may be even an encouraging one, but as I, actually, as I reflected on it this week, it's not a true statement at all, is it? It's never too late. Is it never too late? I, I believe in second chances, third, fourth chances, you name it. That's, that's grace. That's Jesus. I'm a pastor. I, I believe in that. I preach that. 
But even I have to admit, right, eventually your chances run out. And we know, we know that. We know that. We, I think probably the, the most tangible example of that is, is, is death itself. We know at some point we run out of time to make right on what we did wrong or to make different decisions. But, but even as relationships change, opportunities change. And, and there's, a, you know, there's a time when the bags won't make it on the plane. There's a time when the decision I made then limits and changes what I can do now. And in a negative sense, there's, you know, there's, there's only so much time our hearts have before they become hard to change. We don't, if we ignore them, if our, our sin or our bad habits become more and more entrenched, and before you know it, it's, it's too late. And yes, there are so many chances for grace. There's so much grace in the Christian life, but it's not never too late. That's not true. It's never too late right up until it is. There's only so much time. In our story in Matthew, uh, which is most of chapter 21, we only read the first part this morning. It's all about this. If you haven't turned to Matthew 21, you can do that now if you have your Bible. Uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 21. Uh, we're gonna, uh, we've been studying as a church, and, and we'll continue to study in Matthew this last week of Jesus' life. So we've been in, if you remember, we were in Matthew uh, several months ago, uh, kind of from chapter 1 all the way to 20. And then we're kind of picking it up again here, and we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life, and, and not quite half, but, but close to half of Matthew's book, or a, a big chunk of it, is, is focused on this one week. Matthew thought it was that important. People often call the Gospels uh, a passion narrative, so the last week of Jesus' life with an extended introduction, okay? This is mostly about this last week, and Matthew is convinced this is the most important week in human history. This week, this last week of Jesus' life. And if you were here last Sunday, Jordan uh, uh, taught us about uh, the, the first day of that Sunday of that first week when Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem uh, as its king. And uh, he rode in on this humble picture of a king riding on a donkey. And that, that was Sunday. And it, so, so today, for Jesus, it's Monday, early Monday in this story. And he's hungry. And he sees this fig tree and he wants a snack. And Jesus pretty much lived hand to mouth, if you've if you've uh, studied him at all. He didn't have a lot of money, his disciples. So they lived hand to mouth. And there's a fig tree on the side of the road. It's fair game. Uh, and, and actually, <clears throat> no doubt, uh, Jesus and his disciples did this often. They would look for breakfast early in the morning, uh, something like this. And he's looking for figs on this tree. Ripe and juicy and delicious. If you ever had one, they're actually quite, quite good. And when the tree is full of leaves, that's the indication that it's time to look for fruit. So Jesus sees a tree, and, and, and to the trained eye, right, it's, it's, it's full of leaves. It's screaming out to him, there's fruit here for you. Come, come and get it. But it's false advertisement. Right? He goes up, and there's no fruit on this tree, which, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, right, isn't that big of a deal, is it? But it happens, you know. We're disappointed. Uh, no use crying over spilled milk. But, but there's <laughs> something happens inside of Jesus in this moment. And he, he see, it's like he sees this tree, and Matthew wants us to see this tree the same way. He sees it, it's like it represents a kind of life for Jesus in that moment. A kind of person. The kind of life that looks like it has fruit. That's supposed to be bearing fruit. That's supposed to be life-giving, but it's not. It's kind of like Jerusalem and the temple and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people, if you've been following along in Matthew at all. False advertising, amazing religiosity, but no fruit, all leaves and no fruit. 
And if you read the gospels, actually, it's interesting. Um, It's almost always the religious people who give Jesus the most trouble. The ones who look like they've got their lives together, who know all the rules and they keep the big ones, at least in public. They know the right things to say. They know the right people to look down on and the right people to look up to, right? They look fruitful. See, in this story, they are the cursed fig tree. And let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're skeptical of, this, of Jesus or the church or uh, Christianity in general, and, 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 and you, you, you may have more in common with Jesus than you think. If, if you, however angry we are at hypocrisy, Jesus was angrier. Sinners and prostitutes, right? It's almost never too late for them in the book of Matthew. If they have breath, they can still run to Jesus. It's the ones who think they are okay that are in the most danger which I only bring up because that ought to startle a room like this this morning. Right? Church people. I know not everyone here is, you know, says I'm a church person, but probably most of us are. That's kind of the room Jesus is talking to. And for the whole book of Matthew, the, the religious authorities like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others, they've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bear fruit that Jesus is looking for. In fact, all the way back in chapter three, John the Baptist, you remember him, he's out preaching repentance at the Jordan River and baptizing. Uh, there's a story in John chapter three where it says, when, when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It sounds a lot like Jesus, right? This was chapter three. And right after this warning, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, this is the fruit. Listen to him. He is the one. And yet they ignore him. And right all the way up to chapter 21, they continue to ignore him. Even right after the fig tree, this story, I'll summarize it for you. Jesus enters Jerusalem. He gets confronted by these religious authorities again, and they ask him the same question they've been asking him over and over and over and over again, which is basically this. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to say what you say and to do what you do? And why should I pay any attention to you at all? They still don't get it. They think this guy is not the Messiah. This is, this is a hick, podunk, Galilean who's causing trouble for us. We got all the time in the world to wait for Messiah. They don't. And I can just imagine Jesus, he's listening to these people, right, berate him for the thousandth time. And I can just picture him in my mind, looking back, maybe a mile back behind him, back to that cursed fig tree and just shaking his head, saying, you have no idea I hate to break it to you guys, but for most of the rest of the book of Matthew, it's a bit of a downer. <laughs> not, not in small part because Jesus is met by this kind of opposition over and over and over again. There's so little fruit left in this book. God's people, by and large, they totally reject Jesus as their Messiah. If you didn't already know that Jesus last week is awful, now you know. So Jesus, after he's confronted, he gives these three parables to the religious teachers, these three stories, three illustrations of a fruitless life, a life that might be too late, that's missing out. These are, these are strong warnings to religious people. 
and he'll give them. And we know, but if you read the rest of the story, these leaders will largely ignore these warnings. But I don't want to do the same thing. So if you have your Bible, this is where I want to spend most of our time this morning. If you have your Bible in chapter 21, I want you to, to skip down to verse 28. There's a lot of text here, and there's, there's more of it I wish I, we could cover, but I don't want us to miss these warnings, okay? So here's, here's how Jesus puts the first warning for us this morning. He tells it in a story. He says, imagine a father has two sons, which already sounds stressful to me, uh, two sons, but uh, it's okay. He, that's not Jesus' point. He, he says, the father went to the first one, and uh, the first son, and said, I want you to go into work in the vineyard today. And the son says, no, no thanks, busy, not going to do it, walks away. But later on, a few minutes later, he changes his mind. He decides, you know what? That was the wrong thing to do. I'm going to do what my father said. I'm going to go out. I'm going to work in the vineyard. He says the father goes to the second son and says the very same thing. Son, I want you to go out in the vineyard today and I want you to work. And the second son says, anything for you, dad. Consider it done. No problem. And he goes out and he does absolutely nothing. And Jesus, he tells the story, he looks at the religious leaders and he says, which one did the will of his father? And they all reply to him, the first one. The one who said no, but actually did it. And Jesus says, you're right, good job. If only you were more like that son. The one who says one, you are more like the second, you say one thing and you do another. Prostitutes and tax collectors and all the people who have said no to God their whole lives are coming to me and repent. They are changing their mind and coming and following me. But you, you who have said yes to God your whole life with your mouth, you are walking away from me. You are all leaves and you are no fruit. So, so here's Jesus' first warning. Here's how I would summarize it. It might be too late for you if you'd rather look the part than live the part. You'd rather look it. You'd rather say yes when everyone is looking and say no when you're alone. You'd, you'd rather be around Jesus than actually obey him. You want to pay him lip service, but that's, that's about it. And, and you know what? I think Jesus nails, hits the nail on the head with this. Whether you are religious or not, wherever you come from, we all love to look the part, don't we? And yet so many times we are terrible at living it. I just, I just had to think of my own life, okay, the ways we fake it. We judge others to feel better about ourselves. We excuse our sins as mistakes. And everyone else says, how dare they? I can't even keep my own rules for my own life, yet everyone else is a hypocrite, except for me. Right? We work overtime for our public relations. The, Im the image we try to project online with our parents, with our family, our spouses, our friends, we want everyone to think we have our lives together, but they are anything but. Or worse than that, you actually believe you're okay. There's nothing more dangerous than that. You go to church, you avoid the big sins, you're a decent human being, and you're content with that. Jesus says to that life, it might be too late for you. The worst people you can imagine, okay, for the Jews of this day, that's tax collectors and prostitutes, they have more hope right now than you, says Jesus to the religious leaders. They have more hope than you. They don't look the part, not at all. They, they need a savior and they know it. If you already think you look pretty good, you have no need for me, says Jesus. And before you know it, it's too late. Now that's not, that's not all of us. We're not all there, but that's not the only warning Jesus gives here. He, he wants everyone to feel included. So if that didn't resonate, keep, keep listening. 
Here's the next warning he gives in verse 33. Okay, he, he, it's another story. He says, <clears throat> imagine a landowner uh, decides to go in, into the wine business. He's going to start making wine. So he plants a vineyard and he builds a fence and he builds a tower for security and he, he installs a wine press and everything's good to go. And then he actually um, hires out tenants to work the field for him. And this was not uncommon today. It was not uncommon at the time either. He's going to go off and do other business. He uh, rents out this vineyard to his tenants and he gets... As the owner, he gets a certain amount of the produce and they split up the, 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 the remainder. That's all worked out ahead of time in a contract. And Jesus says, when the owner uh, sends his servants to collect, it's, it's time for the harvest. The tenants beat one servant, they kill another one, and they stone the other one. And the owner sends more servants and they do the same thing all over again. Then the owner thinks to himself, I will send my son because surely they will listen to him and then respect him. And the tenants see the son and they realize this is the heir of the field. If we get rid of him, we're one step closer to owning this outright ourselves. So they seize him, they throw him out of the vineyard, and they murder him. And that's the story. And Jesus looks at the, the religious leaders and he asks, when the owner comes to visit the tenants, what's he going to do? And the, the, the religious leaders reply and they say, it's going to be judgment day. He's going to clean house. He's, gonna, he's not going to leave one loose end. And then he's going to hire new workers who will actually do what he wants them to do. And in my mind, they had to know in this moment, right, that Jesus is setting them up. They had to know. But Jesus still comes out and says, that's you. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to those whom God can actually work with. And if you get in his way, you are toast. My favorite part of all of this, right, is that the way Matthew tells it, it's like... After Jesus says that, right, it's you. They kind of look at each other and they say, wait, is he talking about us? Like, wait, wait, well, that changes everything. <laughs> it's like they didn't know. I love it. But here, here's the essence of Jesus' warning, okay? It might be too late for you if you'd rather listen to anyone but God. Anyone but God. See, it's one thing in, the, in this story, it's one thing to rob from God, which the tenants do, right? They keep the produce for themselves that actually belongs to him. And honestly, we all do that. We all have fruit in our lives. We have success and achievement that we keep for ourselves. And we don't think God has anything to do with it. We don't give, what, we don't give to him what he deserves. And that, that's bad enough. But the real clincher of the story, right? It's another thing to ignore every word, every messenger, every servant from God, every warning, every opportunity to, and refuse to even consider that we might be in the wrong, that we might need to repent, to turn away from what we're doing and to ask God, for forgiveness. Now remember, Jesus is looking at God's people right now. He's, he's saying, you have had God's word, you've had his teachings, you had his covenants in the Old Testament, and you have ignored them all. You killed every prophet God ever sent you, which is basically true. You ignored John the Baptist, who preached for years repentance every day, and you ignored him, and now God's own son is standing in front of you, talking to you, pleading with you, and you cannot see it. You don't get it. In fact, Jesus, is he's got to be thinking, in, in a few days, you're going to arrest me, you're going to throw me out of the city, and you're going to kill me. What hope do we have of God, if even God's warnings we don't listen to anymore? You know, there's a way to be very near to God. There's a way to be very near to God, but never listen to him. To pick and choose the parts of the Bible 
that you like and those that you don't, and to do that willfully, right? It's not that you don't understand what you're reading. You just don't like it. And you don't wrestle with it or ask God's help to understand it or accept it. You just ignore it. You throw it out. You stop caring. You silence the prophets. You throw out the messengers. You throw out the servants. And sooner or later, it's too late to go back. And even God's son can't speak to you, can't get to you anymore. There's also a way to be very far from God, to not be a religious person really at all, but to never have given him a chance. You know, if you're here today and you're, you don't, you're not a Christian, um, I hope you're enjoying the sermon on religious hypocrisy. Um, <laughs> but I want to encourage you while you're here I, to listen to God. Have you really given his word, the Bible, a chance in your life or have you written it off? Have you engaged with it yourself? Don't ignore it. Don't do that. Read, read his book, his, his message to you. Let him speak to you before you decide what your life's going to be about. We have this thing, it's called Open Here. It's on our website, you can sign up. There's a, there's a scripture emailed to you every day in preparation for the sermon on Sunday. That's a, that's a great place to start. It's not too late to start listening, it's not. Try that. Jesus gives one more warning for us here in, 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 in our, for our morning. It's actually in chapter 22, verse one. And for me, it's probably the most haunting of of all three. Here's how Jesus puts it. He says, imagine a king throws a party. It's It's a wedding party for his son. And he goes out and he invites all the big names in town, right? The who's who. And uh, this is a king. So you know this is going to be a great party. Okay, a lot of resources behind this party. But nobody shows. Which, you know, who knows shows a king's party? That's that's crazy. So, So the king adapts. He sends his servants out again to invite, and he says, this time, sell it, right? Sell it to people. Tell them about the barbecue. I've got beef. It's ready to go. It's piping hot. It's fresh off the grill. I've got more wine than I know what to do with. Come on, celebrate with me. My son's getting married. Come celebrate. No one listens. In fact, one guy says, I got to go back to my farm. Another guy says, I got to go back to work. And some of them even, even abuse the servants, say, stop bothering, get out of here, stop bothering us with this. And one, some servants even get killed for inviting people to a party. Can you imagine? Here's what's so powerful about this story. Here's what Jesus is saying, I think. He's saying it might be too late if you would rather be anywhere without God than to celebrate with him. Anywhere without him. Than to celebrate with him. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying that God's kingdom is like a party. It's a celebration, unlike the world has ever known. It's got the best food, the best wine, the best entertainment, which God ought to know because he made all of those things, right? He would know the best of the best of the best. And God is running out after you, offering you all of this, and all you have to do is show up, and you would rather do anything than go, anything. You'd rather work, you'd rather check Facebook or go to the dentist, right? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Who would do that? It's too ridiculous, but it's absolutely true. At least for some of us. We would rather find our own cheap imitation, happiness and pleasure and fulfillment than even be around God for one second. To listen to him for one minute, to give him one sliver of control in our lives. Anything, anything, anything but that. 
So the king in the story, he realizes, I've invited all the wrong people. I've made a huge mistake. So he goes out and he destroys the nice part of town. And then he goes to the bad part of town, the wrong side of the tracks, and he invites everybody there. Come to my party. Homeless, no problem. Jewish, great. Gentile, come on in. Prostitute, bring your friends. Roman occupier, bring the garrison. Fill this place. Everybody is welcome. And suddenly, the party is buzzing with all the least expected people. The poor and the disenfranchised. Anyone who responds to this invitation is welcome. And listen, if you're at church right now and you feel like you don't fit in, this king welcomes you. I hope you see that. That's part of what this story is teaching. It's the ones of us who kind of fit in a little too well that actually need to take this story really seriously. But it's never too late until it is chance after chance after chance, one day there are no more chances. Don't end up like the fig tree. This is Jesus' point. He's trying to warn us. Maybe you're not a religious person, but you, you, you see these warnings and, and, and you feel like God's inviting you and it's a little scary. Or, or, or maybe you're religious. You're kind of the church person and you know you've convinced yourself one too many times that you're okay. I don't need God's help with this part of my life. Right? I'm better than so-and-so. And these stories scare you a little bit. They should. That's good. That's a good sign. They scare me too. So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, the simple answer is, it's right in the story, it's bear fruit. Bear fruit. And actually he tells us in, in these stories what that looks like. And it's, it's really not that complicated. In story one, he, he says, change your mind and believe. That's the fruit. Admit that you don't have it figured out, that your life isn't okay, that sometimes you say no to him, that you need something only Jesus can give and believe that he can give it to you. In the second story, the fruit is receive the son, receive him, respect him when he comes and give him what he deserves, which is everything. He's the one we listen to. And in the third story, the fruit is just show up ready. Respond to this invitation and realize that no matter what you've got going on out here, this invitation is better. No matter what you have leaned on in your life for your identity, for your meaning, for your pleasure, for your success and your achievement, this is better. He invites you to something better. Will you come? It's not too late. It's really not. If there's breath in your lungs, it's not too late. If you're willing to respond, it's not too late. And how do I know this? How do I know it's not too late? Well, in part, because many of these religious leaders who condemn Jesus on this day, in about a week, when they see Jesus alive, they come to him. These same people. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The same people that Jesus is talking to now. It was not too late for them. It's not too late for us. Not yet. And all it takes is trust in him. If you look carefully, you can actually see Jesus in each of these stories, right? He is the son who is good and does good. He shows up for work even when we stay home. He is the son who comes to the vineyard sent by his master, but not simply to die at our hands, but to die in our place so that we could give back to the master the kind of fruit that we could never produce on our own. 
which is true righteousness. It's, tr- it's, it's a perfect relationship with the Father. That's what he wants. And friends, we're not just invited to this wedding feast, right? This, this metaphor that Jesus uses here, it continues in the Bible, in the New Testament. And, we're, and what we see is that we're not merely spectators, but participants. We, we are not really guests of Jesus. We are the bride of Jesus. We're welcomed forever into the family of God as the bride of Christ. We're united with him for eternity. It is not too late to join the party until it is. So why not come now? You know, we're going to take communion in, in just a minute. And, and I want to remind you what communion is, okay? Communion is practice. Did you know that? Communion is practice for a wedding feast that we can hardly imagine. That's what it is. It's a promise to you that that feast is coming and that you are invited and that your RSVP is secure in Christ. That's what communion is. So what I want us to do is to take a moment of reflection together, okay? Communion is a good time to do that. It's a good time for, so take a minute. And if you're his, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask God to show you where you still need him, the parts of your life where you say yes to him, but you live no. Ask him to show you those things and repent of them and ask God to invade those parts of who you are. Invite him in. If you are not a follower of Jesus, take a minute and consider him right now. Consider him. And if you're willing, pray to him now. That's not in, that, don't let that intimidate you. He is not looking for the right words. That's part of what this parable shows, right? He's not looking for a formula. Pray to him now. Talk to him now. Ask him to reveal himself to you, and he will. Ask him if you're ready to to be forgiven of your sins and to accept him as king of your life. He will respond to you. So if you would, bow your heads. Let's take a minute of reflection together. Father, we confess that without you, we are nothing more than cursed fig trees, fruitless and lifeless. And we confess that so much of our lives, when we are really honest, we hold back from you, from your control and your pruning. And so much of our fruit in life we keep for ourselves and don't serve or worship or give thanks to you, the giver of life and all good things. But we know you are faithful to forgive when we ask. As you promised in your word, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for Jesus, Father, who fulfills this promise in his death and resurrection on our behalf. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen.